So these are selected readings on friendship uh, from Proverbs. I'm just going to read them. I'll stop maybe for one or two seconds at the end of each one, just because sometimes it can take a little while just to kind of reflect and then move on to the next one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. A righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. A gossip betrays a confidence. Do not make friends with a short-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them with rags. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. The one who covers over an offence promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favour than he who has a flattering tongue. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And this comes, these two, next two come from John, chapter 15. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. If you turn over the page, onto page 11, I'm going to read from John chapter 15, verses 5 to 17. And this is Jesus speaking. And uh, really, he's the ultimate friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. And uh, yeah, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thank Thanks you, Don. Emma's going to lead us in prayer afterwards, and I think that's also going to be interactive as well. So uh, 
There you go. After Rivendell <laughs> interaction. Let me pray. Father, in many ways we should have been your slaves. We, we, uh, whoever sins is a slave to sin, Jesus says. But you have liberated us. You have, uh, the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And you call us your friend. And indeed you sent Christ to lay down his life for us. Um, you chose us to be friends. You chose us. Uh, may we delight in this truth for Christ's sake. Amen. So far this year, uh, um, we've had three weeks in, in summer in a series in Job 28. Uh, we've completed Rivendell now. Uh, wow, what a great weekend, by the way. Can I have a show of hands of those who are on Rivendell for part or all? Okay, a few of you, that's nice. Okay, well done. Points for you. Um, we've introduced then the theme for the year, for the teaching theme for the year, groups, etc., which is namely that we are mining, are not for gold or silver, we're mining for wisdom in 2020. Um, and so far we've said it begins with the fear of the Lord, a posture towards Him, a humility. We don't know, He knows, wisdom resides in Him, doesn't reside in, in me. Uh, on Rivendell, we heard in profound ways that wisdom is woven into the fabric of creation, that when we do something that's sort of uh, foolish or is folly, uh, it's a little bit like working against the grain of creation, you know, swimming against or uh, grinding the gears is something I might, something, he didn't say, Andrew didn't say that, but something I might, might say. Uh, we learned on the weekend that wisdom laughs at us when we choose folly, but that Jesus is our wisdom. Andrew framed that up in profound ways. In Job 28, the narrator says that when people find a precious metal that's hidden in the ground, they'll do anything to get it. They'll dig, discover, innovate, overcome fears to get at the precious thing. But we're not mining for gold in 2020. We're mining for something far more precious, for wisdom. And I want to press into wisdom and walk in the way of wisdom. Of course, it's not just a yearly activity. It's, we've been doing it. Uh, many of us, all of us have been doing it to some degree over the years and decades. Uh, we want to do it until the day we die, but we're focusing on this as a teaching topic in 2020. And uh, borrowing from Job 28, we want to attack the problems, assault the flinty rock with our hands, we want to lay bare the roots of the mountains to get to the uh, bottom of things, to tunnel through the rock and to bring to light hidden things, to seek the most precious thing of all, and that is a wise life. Um, I listened to two talks today, and uh, they were profound. The depth of these talks, the depth, the magic, really, of, of the way Andrew thought about it and put it together. These talks should be online soon, and I've never done this before, but I do recommend listening to them and maybe even listening to them twice. Might be a good uh, idea. As he was speaking this morning, I'm like, wow, the stuff I've prepared for 6 p.m. is a little less deep wouldn't call it shallow, maybe you would. Please give me feedback afterwards. Rather, I've just a few thoughts on, on Proverbs and how it speaks about friendships. It's a one-off today. Friendship, which is not a science. And if you think it's a science, you put in inputs and you should have got outputs, and maybe that's why it's frustrating. Um, if you think of it as a science, it won't work for you. It's more like an art friendship is, and therefore to some degree is mysterious. Um, 
part of a pastor's job is to make sure relationships sort of function and a community is, is a potentially real, but you can't, you can't force it, you can't make it happen. And there is something about the blood of Christ that unifies us and that therefore opens doors uh, to friendship in a way uh, that perhaps other things, other things don't. But nonetheless, there's still something mysterious about it. It's not easy to make and keep friends. It does take time and creativity and investment and a whole swag of grace. Thank you, Anita. Uh, friendship is not about being covenanted, you know, like a marriage. So if you make a friend with somebody and they move overseas, you have to move with them. Whereas on the whole, if you covenant with somebody, you're more likely to do that. At the same time, a friendship is not an acquaintance or a friend on Facebook, you know, somebody you touch base with, something you, you, you're far more likely to walk through life with them uh, a lot more deeply. Have you seen that meme going around? Um, I've seen it a couple of times. The real miracle of Jesus' life. The real miracle of Jesus' life is that he found 12 close male friends in his 30s. Not easy, friendship. God gave me uh, several friends uh, in my late teen and early 20s years, and they are some friends who love the Lord, uh, uh, men and women. Interestingly, one or two of them are opening up for the first time after 30 years of friendship, like real friendship. It's a strange topic, friendship. <laughs> um, in the start of this talk, we're going to talk about the fear of the Lord. At the end of this talk, we're going to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't speak as a wise one, but my job is to point you to the wise one, to Jesus Christ. The book of Proverbs has a theme statement at the beginning of it. Chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you want to be truly smart to learn how to live life in this complex world, then the first thing to do is to fear God. It's a posture towards him. So lots of things might not work out for you. You might not be able to figure out the best situation in any given moment, because only God knows everything from A to Z. Uh, but the posture to wisdom is going to be the fear of the Lord. A posture, perhaps, that says, I don't know how to make friends or keep them, but there is one who does. I'm going to press into this as I move forward through life. I am but dust, after all, loved. I have my hope in the resurrection but I'm not God. Living smart, then, is not about what you know, um, but it's about what you do. That is, you fear the Lord, a posture towards Him. You can have a limited education and still be a very wise person. You can have a massive education and be a person of folly, foolishness. It's about who you know really divinely. So living wisely is not, then, a finishing point where you say, I'm smart now, it has a starting point, namely the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom, therefore, boldly asks the question, since I know what it means to fear the Lord, not everybody here does, by the way, and an indication that you don't fear the Lord is when you say, oh, I found out something that I think God wants, but I'm going to reject it because, because I know better. You see, that would be an indication. I know how to live life. Fear of the Lord says, no, nah, I'm going to press into God find out what... God thinks about any given situation. Since I know what it is to fear the Lord, how then shall I live? Colossians, live wisely. Friendship, I think, is a basic human need without which it's almost impossible to thrive. 
And if you have good friends, um, you often have confidence in your place in the world, and they've sort of given it to you. Patricia, do you mind closing that 19th century door with its 16 locks on it? Don't lock us in, though. It's a fire hazard. But all that beautiful rain, um, yeah. Uh, perhaps you have family that love you. Uh, family is a complicated matter, as you know. But friends, you choose. If, if you can put it this way, under normal circumstances, your family has to love you. But your friends, you choose to love you and to, to love them. And it's in that free choosing that I think makes it so good. I had a friend of mine that used to, a teacher, I should say, that in his class would say, catch the pearls of wisdom as they drop from my lips. Well, I have no pearls of wisdom dropping from my lips, but the book of Proverbs does. So let's catch the pearls of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And by the way, there is a sea of issues, loneliness. How do you handle it if your English is your second language or your first one, but you live in another part of the world? Lots of complicated things with friendships. Did you know that the first thing Proverbs says after laying the groundwork of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of it? The first thing the Proverbs says is, don't join a violent gang. We learned this over the weekend. First thing Proverbs says, father to his son, a parent to a child, don't join a violent gang because you'll end up dead. That's the first thing. Listen to it. It's in chapter 1, verse 8. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Instruction: Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Please don't do that. This, this teaching is a garland to grace your head, a chain to adorn your neck. And then the father says to his son, My son, if sinful men entice you, don't give in to them. If they say, Come along with us, let us lie in wait for innocent blood, let us ambush some harmless soul, let's swallow them alive like the grave. This is a word about bullies, right? And, and, and whole, uh, uh, so they go down to the pit. And we'll get all sorts of valuable things if we act this way. We'll fill our house with plunder. We'll cast, so cast lots with us. We will share all their loot. The father says, my son, don't go along with them. Don't set foot on their paths. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. And you will get ill-gotten gain and go to the grave. It says that before it says, open out in the open, wisdom calls aloud, and she raises her voice in the public square. Before we even get to one of the main points of the book of Proverbs, that wisdom is a woman to pursue, she who you must listen to, otherwise it will be folly to you, the first thing that's said is, choose the right friends to walk with. Choose the wrong people, you'll end up lost. It is written into the fabric of creation. If you envy the bully and you revolve your fears around them, which will end up, you'll revolve your loves around them because you'll start worshipping them in some weird way. Proverbs says you'll end up dead. Jesus didn't do it. There's power then in human relationships. And one of the reasons you must be careful about who you date is that as you interact with your friends, with human relationships, you will change. Proverbs talks about the power of human friendship, and you're now on page nine. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend is there when life is hard, as well as when life is good. Someone you want to play with, but also someone you want to go to war with, because you know they've got your back. In a generation of family breakdown over the past 20 or 30 years, 
and a loss of faith in institutions of church and marriage and family, along with politics and police and schools. Uh, we have to fight for it, and that's, maybe that's a good thing to protect the vulnerable. But in that world, friends have become increasingly more significant for us. For the oldies here amongst us, I've cut myself among you, it's no coincidence that we went from the Brady Bunch in the 1960s, which is about a blended family through death, but it's about family. It's no coincidence that we went from there in the 1960s to a TV show called, the F- called Friends in seconds from the 60s to the 90s. Friends, of course, the television show centers on a group of people who are not related but are in effect family to one another. I read a book while on long service leave last year about Generation X nominating friendship as being the place where safety is going to be rather than family. Friends are powerful. The Bible and Proverbs talks about the beauty of human friendship, the sweetness of earnest wisdom. Look at 29 verse, 27 verse 9. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, at least for some of us. And the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel, her earnest counsel. It's time then to receive earnest counsel. To say to your friends, I'd like you to give me earnest counsel. This is where I repeat Anita's comment. A good friend is more useful than a mirror. You've got a mirror at home? good friend more useful than a mirror. We stand in front of a mirror and we see what we want to see good or bad, a friend ought to tell us what we really like. The people who know you well can give you good and honest advice, earnest counsel. You're too intense sometimes and it's time to lighten up. You are treating her wrong. Is there something you can do? You've made an idol of your job. You shouldn't be dating him or her. They seek your good, not just your approval. All of that, by the way, all of those words Seek wisdom if you're going to deliver earnest counsel. And the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about when and how to speak and when to hold your tongue and counsel. I have a dear friend uh, called Michael, and uh, when I was 20 years old, he says to me in the car earnestly, stops the car and he pulls the handbrake. It's one of those awkward moments, one of your bloke friends, and he says, "Um, so I think you've lost some of your fire for Jesus Christ. I think you're going soft on God. I reacted thinking, how dare you? It's presumptuous to say that. But after I got over the shock of accusation, I realized maybe he's right and recalibrated. He's a good friend. Chapter 27, verse 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. That's worth pondering just that first half of the line. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. An enemy will flatter you, and suck up to you, but a good friend has the courage to tell you the truth. How do you tell a good friend? It used to be anyone who shows up when you move houses. Maybe the truth is a good friend is somebody who tells you negative realities. How can you find such friends? Uh, Usually, some of us don't give a lot of thought to choosing friends because it happens in mysterious ways. Um... That friend Michael and I ended up on a camp, and a school camp, and instead of being in a dorm with, with 10, 20 other guys, we ended up in the leader's room talking about sort of how to do life. We often pick people who are like us, 
and who like us, or who subconsciously add value to our reputation, maybe, perhaps that's problematic, or we just run with the crowd we run with. We slip into uh, a friendship group that we didn't choose. Maybe we're not being intentional. C.S. Lewis said in Four Loves, friendship is born in that moment when one man says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. I thought no one thought that thought or had that experience but myself. Proverbs has plenty to say about the kinds of friends you do and don't want. For example, don't join a violent gang. Please don't. Mind you, people do. People do. Maybe not a violent gang, but they choose the wrong friends and end up in a path they didn't want to end up in. It's like, how did I make a choice because I was hungry for friendship when I was 18 and end up where I am at age 30, you see? 12 verse 26, a righteous man is cautious in friendship. In Proverbs, here is a way to be appropriately cautious. Avoid a person who gossips. 20 verse 19, a gossip betrays confidence. It's not good for you. In uh, 22 verses 24 and 25, stay clear of someone who's short-tempered. And we all know people who are short-tempered, but there's a sense here, maybe you are, maybe I am. (laughs) Do not make friends with a short-tempered person, a person who flares up quickly. Do not associate with somebody who is easily angered. Or, he says, you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. You might decide that sort of being judgmental to others sounds like a good idea because you feast together on, the way, on, this, on this way. Steer clear, 23, 21 to 20, 21 to 20 and 21, from drunks and gluttons. Now, by the way, Jesus spent time with drunks and gluttons. But Proverbs says, be careful when you do. Don't just spend time with them because you're like, believe in grace. There's a problem here. Listen to this. Don't join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat or a drunkard and, gut- and gluttons. They become poor and drowsiness clothes them with rags. In other words, if your friends are heavy drinkers, it's possible to end up on the same path and it will be really hard for you not also to become a heavy drinker and part of that reason is that it will seem normal. The new normal to drink lots the crowd you hang out with affects your judgment. And if you're not wise, uh, and if, you're, if they're not wise, then perhaps you'll end up being foolish yourself. It's not obvious that foolishness is as contagious as faith is, perhaps more so. Instead, choose friends who display wisdom themselves. 13 verse 20. He who walks with the wise grows wise but a companion of fools suffers, suffers harm. The next best thing to being wise oneself is to surround yourselves with those who are. How are your friends influencing you? Have you got friends helping you to be wise and are you helping them to be wise? The shape of your friendship will shape you. The shape of your friendship will shape you. For me, it was hanging out with a group of people who were serious about following Christ and willing to call me out on it that made a lot of difference for me as a young man. I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. You will have a variety of friends. Thank you, Katrina. Please, not all of them Christian. Please, not if you live in the way of Jesus Christ, who ate with tax collectors, drunkards, and sinners. But it's good when you're guiding friendships. will help you to make wise and God-honoring decisions. So cultivate those friendships that will strengthen your faith, faith, and lead you into habits of godliness. I want to talk about maintaining friendships for a few moments. What kind of friend are you? 
Unfortunately, it's possible to be a Christian and a lousy friend. Proverbs has a bit to say about it. There's some great smart stuff about making your friendship work. For example, maintaining friendships will not be about holding grudges. 17 verse 9, the one who covers over an offense promotes love. Whoever repeats the matter over and over and over again separates close friends. Isn't this patently true and woven into the fabric of creation? It's not that covering up an offence involves some kind of deception. There are reasons to call out sin. But rather, uh, it is a person who allows a matter to drop when it's the appropriate time to do so. And Proverbs talks about that. Um, Allowing the friendship to survive rather than be brittle because you're always repeating a matter over and over and over again. Which is exactly what God does to us when Jesus Christ died on the cross. He put, put our sins far from us. What Peter says, love covers over a multitude of sins. It's not brittle. There's, there's room, grace. Right? A safe, grace is a safe place to land and to do real life. Don't bring on quarrels and stupid arguments and, and gossip again. 17 verse 14, start a, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. Start a quarrel, breach a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. A point, exactly a point Jesus makes in the Sermon on the Mount. Go and make up while you still have a chance. But also 26 verse 20, and I'm working my way through these verses here on pages 9 and 10. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. You take away wood, a fire goes out. You take out a gossip and a quarrel will die down. If you want to be regarded as a good friend, hold your secrets. Be a vault. Also, be ready to say what needs to be said as a true friend. 28 verse 23, he who rebukes will in the end gain more favour than the one who has a flattering tongue. To have the courage to say hard things to your friend when necessary. It takes a lot of wisdom, a lot of grace. But it's good for your friend good for you, good for the friendship. We should be ready to have awkward or even fierce conversations when needed. But, 15 verse 1, you want to be a gentle friend. A gentle answer turneth away wrath. And a harsh word stirs up anger. Harsh startups never work. We in Australia are the kings of the put-down, but a wise person is gentle with his or her words. Let me conclude. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom, then Jesus is the end of wisdom. And please download the second talk uh, of the weekend to hear a beautiful case of how Jesus shows us friendship. The gospel of Jesus Christ speaks into all issues, including this one, the spiritual man, spiritual person makes judgments about all things. Was Jesus unwise in his friendships? He was accused of being a friend of prostitutes and tax collectors. Not because he was giving a sort of faux approval of, of their life. No, prostitution I don't think is woven into the fabric of, of, of the universe, the way God made the world to pay for sex. Are you kidding? Task that they're skimming off uh, to gather more money for themselves, uh, for the oppressor. He met and ate with them. He demonstrated, but he demonstrated to them the grace of God and then brought them to God. We met John Dixon on the weekend uh, as he frames up a, a year of mission, and we're going to meet him here at church in about three or four weeks' time. 
He talked about uh, Jesus being a friend of sinners and the way we need to do the same thing. There's a quote there at the front of your orders of service that says, a meal is perhaps the most basic and most ancient symbol of friendship, love and unity, food and drink taken in common are obvious, obvious signs that life is shared. That's true, but Jesus did it with people who were opposed to God. And he did it to show them the grace of God. Indeed, what he will be doing by dying on the cross, bringing sinners like me into a relationship with a holy God and making us his friends. Jesus also chose among his friends Judas, who would later betray him. But his grace was contagious. It was a betrayal, if I can put it this way, that had to happen so that Christ would go to the cross and give us grace and call us his friends. Jesus took the biblical teaching of friendship to a new level by proclaiming, Greater love hath no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. I thought it was just, you know, sharing crude jokes with each other on email. No, it turns out that's not true. Turns out it's laying down your life for your friend. Just as he modeled for us a wise life, he also showed us what friendship is all about. He laid down his life for his friends. At the core of what he is saying is that the love of a friend is best expressed in humble sacrifice, in giving up your rights and comforts for the sake of another. If you get a chance to give a speech, someone's 21st or a wedding, start with what you love about them. Honor them. Which, of course, is what Jesus did. He honored us for the sake of his friends. He laid down his life in priceless love. And Jesus offers his friendship to those who obey him. You are my friends now, not, not my slaves, if you do what I command. There's no better friend that you can have in Jesus Christ, invisible, I know, or rather raised, seated at the right hand of God. We walk with him by faith. No one loves you like Jesus does. No one gives as much for you as Jesus does. No one can you trust more than Jesus. No one is more uncomfortably honest with you as Jesus is. No one will be there for you like he will be with you until the end of the age. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. We'll do that in a moment's time. Some observations about Churchill. High turnover of people, worth noting. Tiring for some. Many people in their 20s and 30s who already feel full in their friendship group but I think also people in their 30s, 40s and 50s who are often quite lonely. A lot of people are internationals or English is a second language. And I tell you what, making a friend in an English-speaking country when you're not an English speaker, very complex. Many of, most of us have friends outside the church and this is good and healthy. But you have a unity in Christ and it must be expressed more than friendship really. It's actually about sisterhood, brotherhood, about being siblings of our brother Jesus Christ. May I ask all of you this year, as we think about compelling community, to think about friendships in 2020. Widen your sense of belonging. Being a Christian cannot mean just you and your mates. I had a friend of mine who said, you know, he had four housemates, all blokes, who had several bloke friends, and there was all these blokes that liked to hang out together, and he didn't like going to church. And he said, why can't we just open up our house and call it church? And I said to him, have you opened yourself to Jews? Or Gentiles? Is the door open to people who are disabled or awkward? 
Is it free for a sinner to arrive or a righteous person trying to work out their way? Does it cross through the ages and genders? Take the time. Eat together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer noted that the model for life as a Christian is Christ on the cross. Therefore, to follow God alone is what he says in the book, beginning of his book on life together. I.e., following God is what you do when all your mates run away, when they all give it up, as Jesus found all his friends walk away. And so the basic model for being Christian is doing it alone, Bonhoeffer argues. And so he then says, if God should give you one sister, one brother, to do life with you, then he says, you're one of the most blessed creatures under the sun. One, let alone 50. Have you a friend? Can you be that friend? A friend of mine called John Ng says at a particular church year after year, despite obvious reasons to move, and he says, after a while, where are my friends? They've all gone. But he decided to choose five or ten people each year and serve them. Some of them become his close friends. What drew Jesus' disciples together? Well, some were friends, some brothers. But it wasn't because they just sort of remembered the old times with fondness, but rather because they had a common devotion to following Jesus Christ. And I take it it's the same now. Just a few thoughts. Is that all right? Be a friend. I'm going to pray, and then Emma's going to stay down here. Okay, let me pray. Father, uh, Jesus, you uh, said that we are friends, and by faith we believe it, and so we've got comfort, a confidence, or opportunity to have a confidence in this world, knowing that uh, the one who literally laid down his life for us is now a friend, despite our sin, despite our willfulness, despite our rebellion, despite our not seeking or inquiring of you, despite our looking down on others, despite, despite the fact that we thought we were good people, you sat down with us, um, sinners, <laughs> and ate with us and showed us the glory of the cross and your grace. Help us to be wise people as we do life together. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.